0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, happy Monday to you. I hope you had a great weekend, and thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up on this Monday edition of Washington Watch.
2: Abortions are still going on. This is not a procedure that women should DIY it. There are significant medical risks at stake. Uh, So it's a
3: significant concern, literally, for life and death issues.
1: That was Dr. Jennifer Ashton, ABC News' chief medical correspondent, saying women should not DIY or do-it-yourself when it comes to abortion. Yet rules adopted by the FDA have opened the door to Planned Parenthood and others to sell abortion pills through the mail with no medical oversight. The question is, will the FDA stop what could lead to deadly consequences for women, or, or are they blinded by their allegiance to abortion? We're going to talk about that in just a moment with Texas Congressman Dr. Michael Burgess, a member of the House Doctors Caucus. And right before the election, we're starting to hear about conservative churches getting too involved in elections. And of course, the left is connecting this to, you guessed it, Christian nationalism.
4: White Christian nationalists are working to disempower black and brown Americans through an old age age-old uh, tactic called voter suppression. I'm on calls every day. Early voting has started and so has voter suppression.
1: Well, we're going to talk about voter suppression. That was Jim Wallace who founded the leftist group Sojourners and is now the director of the Georgetown University Center on Faith and Justice. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to explore this further with Dr. A.J. Nolte of Regent University when he joins us a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, the reaction to Nancy Pelosi's husband reportedly being attacked by an alleged intruder with a hammer has, well, it's been interesting. Enough is enough is enough. Every person of good conscience needs to clearly and unambiguously Stand up against the violence in our politics, regardless of what your politics are. That, of course, was President Biden. He made those comments at a Democratic fundraiser on Friday night. Now, I've been very clear about speaking out against violence, whether it comes from the left or the right. But I have to ask this question. Where was the president in denouncing the attacks on conservative candidates and
2: organizations? And I think we all need to recognize uh, violence is up across the board. Lee Zeldin was attacked. We had an assassination attempt against Brett Kavanaugh. And Democrats didn't refu- you know, didn't repudiate that. Joe Biden didn't talk about the assassination attempt against Brett Kavanaugh.
1: It was RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel asking that question yesterday on Fox News Sunday. She joins us a little bit later to talk about it. And finally, President Obama, he made his way to Georgia on Saturday to campaign for Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams. And while he was there, he took the opportunity to take a shot at Herschel Walker, who is running ahead of Warnock in the polls.
0: Seems to me he's a celebrity who wants to be a politician, (laughs) and we've seen how that goes.
1: Yes we have. Well, Walker's response to Mr. Obama is, uh, well, it's really pretty good. And I'm going to play it for you a little bit later, so stick around. The website is TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there. And by the way, lots of resources there for you. Uh, So be sure and visit TonyPerkins.com. Now, we are just eight days away from Election Day, and early voting is underway. We have a great resource for you a personalized electronic voter guide to the candidates. It tells you where the candidates stand. They are rated from liberal to conservative based upon their stance on a range of issues. And all you need to do to get your free personalized voter guide is text the word guide, that's G-U-I-D-E, to six seven seven four two. 67742. Literally millions have already taken advantage of this opportunity and have downloaded this voter guide. So hurry up, download your own personalized guide. What happens? You text in the word guide to 67742. You get a link, follow the link, put in your address, and there you have your own personalized guide. The word for today comes from Second Kings 6, verses 16 and 17. So he, Elijah, answered and said do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed and said Lord I pray open his eyes that he may see then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha there is a spiritual warfare that is raging all around us most of the time we only see what's happening in the natural realm and it is often overwhelming and discouraging Elisha's servant was overwhelmed by the presence of the vast Syrian army, but Elisha calmed him down, prayed for God to open his eyes, and then he saw reality. The enemy army was surrounded by heaven's army. When our eyes are open to the spiritual realm, we understand there are more that are with us than there are against us. To join us in our journey through the Bible, visit frc.org. bible by the way, it was a pleasure to be with the folks at Mildale Baptist Church yesterday, home of Sound Radio. That's WPAE and KPAE. So glad to have them as partner stations for Washington Watch. And uh, next Sunday morning, I'll be at Grace Woodlands in Woodlands, Texas with Pastor Steve Riggle. So if you're in the Houston area, come out and join us. Pro-abortion groups like Planned Parenthood claim that they are advocating for the well-being of women. But since the Dobbs decision returned the matter of abortion to elected representatives, they've been pushing, pushing hard for chemical abortions through the mail, despite the profound dangers such poorly supervised medical care poses to women's health. But perhaps more concerning is what the FDA is doing or not doing to protect women. Joining me to discuss this and more is Congressman Michael Burgess. He is a member of the House Doctors' Caucus and the Committee on Energy and Commerce, among other committees. He represents the 26th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Burgess, welcome back to the program.
4: Tony, thanks for having me on. I appreciate being with you.
1: Well, earlier this morning, Politico published a report citing an anonymous FDA spokesperson, who said the FDA itself is concerned about the advanced prescription of the so called morning after pill, RU486? Uh, they're saying, even if you're not pregnant, but you're going someplace where abortion might be restricted, go ahead and buy this in advance, have it in your possession. That runs counter to good health practices, does it not?
4: Yeah, it absolutely does. And, uh, my read this morning of what the FDA put out was that pre-prescription was uh, was, was not allowed. Uh, and let's bear in mind that the RU486, the compounding question, is not really a morning-after pill. It's an important patient. It is to end the pregnancy that has already been established. And that is not without potential complications. The The timing of its taking is something that must be done under significant professional control and uh, should not just be out there as something in case of fire, break, glass. uh, Look, use as intended. These medications are going to be lethal at least to one half of the participants in the equation.
1: I mean, it could, yeah, certainly, but it could be deadly for the women who take it. The reason medical supervision is necessary, you could have ectopic pregnancies uh, where that would not be detected. That could lead to serious health complications for a woman if she uh, takes this.
4: No question about it. And, of course, the timing of the pregnancy is is important. And if it is just uh, out there for someone here to take this because it will solve your problem, when the problem, in fact, will not only be not solved, but it will be made manifestly many times worse, this is uh, this is not a good idea. And these are potent medicines that need to be under their – the reason they're prescribed by a physician is it's just exactly that. They are potent medicines that have the potential for severe side effects.
1: There's also a range at which these can be used, Um it is within 70 days, up to 70 days of pregnancy. Beyond that, it becomes a, a very significant health health complication for Absolutely. the mother. But if someone just has this in their possession, no guidance from medical uh, personnel, a doctor, I mean, how are they going to know what to do?
4: They're not. And, that's again, that's the danger is, uh, oh, don't worry, I have some of these that I got ahead of time, and you can use them, and it will solve your problem. And, and you're exactly right. If you're beyond that period of time where where, where, where it is uh, at least less dangerous to take it, then it can, the, the consequences can be dire. I just can't say it strongly enough. This is a medication that should be under the control of a physician, prescribed by a physician. My opinion, it should not be something amenable to telemedicine or something that is prescribed over the phone, but it does require
1: face-to-face visit with the physician. Yeah, and, and to your point, to be very clear on this, it, it is not without risk at any point. Um, and it has complications for women all through the process. And as you said, uh, there is at least one person that doesn't survive this at all. Uh, that That's is correct. the unborn child. Um, the FDA says, as I mentioned at the top of this, that uh, this is being prescribed in a way that is incompatible with their regulations but they open the door to this they they opened the door to these drugs being sent by mail with very little if any supervision uh, so what's the plan here is this something that we may see the next Congress uh, asking the fDA about or whether or not they're going to change their regulations to shut the door on this
4: I think that's I think that's a reasonable assumption look any any physician can prescribe any medication off label I mean that that is something that occurs um, um, every day of the week, but the FDA needs to be absolutely crystal clear about its recommendations here: what is permitted, what is not permitted, and you know, I, I got to tell you, there is there is a medical liability component here. If you practice outside what the FDA's recommendations are, someone has a dreadful problem. There is very likely to be litigation as a consequence, and. To tell you the truth, it's very likely to be successful litigation because FDA guidelines were not followed.
1: So that, that's a really good point, a uh, very interesting point, Dr. Burgess, because if you Planned Parenthood, among others, are providing these, pushing these through the mail, they, are they opening themselves up to liability? If a, if a woman takes this at the wrong time, in the wrong way, um, would they be liable?
4: I, I would think so. Now, I have no earthly idea what sort of uh, what, what sort of uh, uh, consent forms that they require before someone is is, a, is is sent the medication. But, yeah, that's a that's a real that's a real risk for anyone who practices in that space. We all recognize that defensive medicine is is part of part and parcel of what we do every day.
1: Well, maybe some attorneys need to be looking at uh, this practice of uh, Planned Parenthood and uh, getting ready to take them to court over the uh, health complications that are sure to follow uh, using this outside the FDA guidelines.
4: Well, it's just, you know, for, for just general consumption for people, this is, it's never a good idea. I'll just tell you yeah. something I would not prescribe, but it must be done under a physician's direction. The complications are significant and uh, and they can be lifelong or life-ending. So people need to take this absolutely seriously. It's not something to be taken with with uh, minimal intent. It's, it is a serious, serious complication.
1: Well, and we hope that uh, the feet of the FDA will be held to account uh, for this under the new Congress. Dr. Burgess, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Good to see you, Tony. Thank you. All right, the Republican National Committee is claiming that Google has been routing nearly 100% of their fundraising mail to spam. We're going to talk about it next.
0: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible.
5: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you with us on this uh, Monday. Again, to get your personalized voter guide, text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, to 67742. You get a link, you follow the link, put in your address, and you'll get a personalized guide that rates the candidates from liberal to conservative. And and this next topic we're going to talk about will underscore why this is so important. Because earlier this month, the Republican National Committee filed a lawsuit against Google, alleging the tech giant is censoring Republican fundraising and get out the vote emails. The RNC says that for the past year, Google has throttled its ability to communicate with Gmail users by routing nearly 100% of RNC emails to spam. Now, this followed a nonpartisan study, by the way finding that Gmail routed Republican emails to spam at a rate of approximately 820 percent higher than similar Democratic emails. Now, how much could this type of activity have influenced previous elections? I mean, we've actually discovered that Yahoo is doing the same thing with our emails. Well, what can be done to fix this? Joining me now to talk about this is the chair of the Republican National Committee, Rana McDaniel. Rana, welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Great to be with you, Tony. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. uh, Good to see you again. Tell us about the facts in this lawsuit that you filed.
2: I I think it's really egregious like you just laid out. So 53 percent of the country has a Gmail account. okay? And people who've opted in to receive Republican emails, they asked to receive them. They wanted to know, where's my polling location? How do I register to vote? How do I send money? Uh, Google has said, you know what, we're going to block that communication. And the last four days of every month for the past 10 months, we go to 0% deliverability. So the rest of the month, we're 90%, and then we go to zero, which is usually the biggest time of the month when you're telling people to vote or or register or raise money. It's intentional. Uh, it is big tech suppressing speech. Think of it like a utility listening in on your phone call and saying, oh, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to cut it off. And that's essentially what they're doing. And so the RNC sued through the Common Carrier Law in California. We hope that we can um, push this forward and stop this from happening, but the best way to do it actually is to elect Republicans this fall to the Senate and the House and hold Big Tech accountable.
1: Now, you tried to have conversations with them. You you didn't just rush off to court. Oh, yeah. You tried to resolve this. What, what kind of feedback did they give you?
2: So we kept hearing, oh, it's because of the amount of emails you're sending or there's something in your emails. It's some algorithm. And they were very nice for 10 months, but it just kept happening the last four days every month. But Tony, there's no algorithm or a part of our email that in the last four days is so different from the earlier parts of the month that would get you to 0% deliverability. So they were stalling us. What's interesting is as of today, it hasn't happened yet this month. And part of that, I think, might be the lawsuit. We'll know more tomorrow. But as of today, it hasn't happened this last four days of October.
1: I mean, we've we've found this to, to occur with providers. Like I mentioned, uh, Yahoo is one that we started getting reports, people say, I, "I don't, I don't ever get messages from you," and I said, well, "Well, this can't be right." And of course, they go into their spam file and they find that it's automatically being diverted over into that. This, I mean, this is a part of censoring speech, and if we're in, 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 they're operating in this public space, therefore, there's this. I know they're not government therefore you know they they are not bound by the first amendment because they're not government suppressing but they're acting in that capacity and so there should be a standard that's set where they're not uh, they're not censoring one side or the other
2: No and when they have 53% of the country that has a Gmail or a Yahoo account and they're arbitrarily or actually intentionally taking Republican emails, it's only happening to us and saying we're going to stop that conversation. It is censor- censorship. It is suppression. It is big tech putting their thumb on the scale. And we know Google, 90% of their employees give to Democrat candidates. We see this. But you are in the public square, square like you said, Tony, and a utility should not be allowed to do this. Actually, the case law right. we're going back to is the 1800s with Western Union. When the telegraph started, Western Union actually – wouldn't deliver deliver some of the messages, and they were sued in California and lost. So we're hoping this stands up and creates a precedent that will prevent big tech from doing this from now on, because they have pretty much a monopoly on emails, and when they're stopping free speech, and they're not a vendor of ours. It's not like we're paying Google. People said, who have Gmail accounts, said, I want to receive these RNC emails. They opted in, and Google's saying, nope, not on our watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and I hope you are successful because I think you are correct. I think they're operating as a public utility, and they are. It's like cutting off the power to one house because you don't like the yard sign in front totally. of it. Totally, uh, we would we would not allow the electric companies to do that, but that is essentially what's happening here, uh, Ron. I want to switch gears for just a moment. Yesterday, you were on uh, Fox News Sunday, and and I think you made a, a very valid point. All of us, and. and I mean, I've I've denounced violence on every side as a former police officer. I think it is undermining of our especially when it comes to political violence. It undermines our system of government. I was I spoke out about about January the 6th. I don't think we should be violating the law at all. This attack on Paul Pelosi. We don't know all the facts about it, but we've heard, you know, President Biden say, oh, where are the Republicans denouncing this? Well, where was he at denouncing all the attacks on conservatives and conservative organizations?
2: Exactly. I mean, you you had an attack on Family Research Council, Council, where somebody came in and committed violence in I think 2012, and we're seeing all types of violence, political violence. But it's interesting, Tony, that the media is selectively silent when it comes to conservatives. Right when Lee Zeldin was attacked, and that attacker was on the street the next day, or an assassination attempt against Brett Kavanaugh, or what happened out of the, after the Republican convention last summer when many of our attendees, or two summers ago, when people were attacked leaving the White House. Right. And they're selectively silent, but then when it happens to Democrats, they amplify it, amplify it in a dishonest way. And they make it sound like, oh, Republican rhetoric's causing this. It should be across the board denounced. We denounced it, we denounced the Paul Pelosi attack. Again, we do not have all the details, but I will say this. They're also silent on the, the violence happening across our country because of Democrats decision to defund, demoralize the police, cashless bail. I think of a little boy like Jackson Sparks, one of the victims of the Waukesha Christmas parade killer who ran over a whole crowd of people because he was out on a very small amount of bail, even though he was a repeat offender and a violent man. And this young eight-year-old boy died. You think of Eliza Fletcher, the mom who was running in memphis who was killed by a career criminal who was let out because of democrats being weak we can think of hundreds of lives that have been taken by their terrible policy
1: we're gonna have to we're gonna have to leave it there always great to see you thanks so much for joining us folks stick around we're back after this
2: are
5: you a university student do you know a university student specifically one who wants to grow as a christian leader to positively influence public policy in the culture look no further
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, let me encourage you, we're just eight days out from a very important election. Get your own voter guide. Personalized voter guide. Text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, to 67742. Get a link. Follow the link over. Put in your address. And within seconds, you'll have your own personalized voter guide on the candidate's all right, um, over the weekend, former President Barack Obama was on the campaign trail, uh, barnstorming for Democrats in uh, battleground states. The former president headlined uh, recent rallies in Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin uh, last weekend. This week, he will head to, uh, to Nevada, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. Now, in Georgia, he was campaigning for uh, Raphael Warnock, and um Stacey Abrams, uh, and the, the the president took a shot while he was there at Warnock's opponent, Herschel Walker, who um, many of you know from football fame, and he's, he's actually, the polls are showing this race very close. In fact, some of the polls have actually shown Walker up over Warnock, and this was what President Obama, former President Obama, had to say, clip seven, please.
0: Seems to me he's a celebrity who wants to be a politician, and we've seen how that goes.
1: Yeah, he went on to make some other statements, like you know, hey, um, would you want him flying your plane? Uh, he's not a pilot. You know, he's not a pilot. Well, I mean, would you want President Obama flying your plane? I didn't want him leading our country, even though he was had the title of president. But here, here is this this response from. Herschel Walker is, uh, is, is, is classic play clip. Number six,
5: president Obama was here last
0: night. Y'all saw him. He said, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> yeah.
5: He got that one wrong. Didn't he? I'm not a celebrity. I'm that warrior for God. All
1: right. In case you didn't hear what he said, I'm going to read it for you because it was a little muffled. He said, president Obama was here last night. Yeah. Y'all saw him. He said, "I'm a celebrity." Yeah, he got that wrong, didn't he? I'm not a celebrity. I'm that warrior for God. Now, what's making this race extremely interesting in Georgia is that Herschel Walker has been attacked repeatedly. You know, on the, you know, abortion. That he's had this sordid past and all these different things. He is extremely open about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the transformation that has taken place in his life as a result of his faith in Christ. And so on every issue, there's not an issue where he is not lined up with biblical truth. And so what does that mean? That means he is a prime target to be attacked. Now, I want to play a clip that I played at the top of the show because, you know, we talk about Christian nationalism, all right? And we're going to talk about that uh, with Dr. Nolte in just in, in the next segment. But we hear about Christian nationalism. But have you noticed how they subtly put in another word? So I want to play this clip again of uh, of, of Jim Wallace, who, um, you know, leftist group, uh, Sojourners. He's now the director of the Georgetown University Center on Faith and Justice. He made uh, this comment last week, clip
4: 11. White Christian nationalists are working to disempower black and brown Americans through an old age, age old uh, tactic called voter suppression. I'm on calls every day. Early voting has started and so has voter suppression.
1: So how does Jim Wallace deal with Herschel Walker? Is, is, is Herschel Walker a white Christian nationalist? What about all those Christians of color who believe that biblical principles are what should give guidance to our government today? It was good enough for the founders to build a nation upon. It's good enough for our leaders to guide it by today. So how do they deal with them? Well, they don't. They don't. What they're trying to do is stoke the flames of division. And, you know, I've talked before about this issue of projection. What Jim Wallace was doing right there is projecting about voter suppression. What he and others in legacy media, Joe Biden and others are doing is suppressing evangelical turnout because they... If someone believes that America was founded on Christian principles, biblical principles, then they're a Christian nationalist, depending on the definition. It's a very broad definition. However, it's used so many different ways. We're going to talk about that next with Dr. Nolte's try to come up with a definition because it's all over the place. But the use of that term is designed to silence. Silence. Christians to get them back to back away because nobody wants to be a a nationalist, especially a white Christian nationalist. That's just part of the suppression effort. Uh, There was uh, ProPublica, which is a George Soros um, publication. Uh, They're out challenging conservative churches who are challenging their people to vote, saying they're violating the IRS. We're going to talk more about that this week because I think this is extremely important, how they are twisting the IRS policy to try to silence churches. It's voter suppression. Yes, there's suppression going on, but it's the left trying to suppress evangelicals for voting, Bible-believing Christians. So that's why... You not you need to not only vote yourself, but you need to make sure you're taking family and friends with you. We have to overwhelm them at the polls and vote biblical values. Pray, vote, stand. All right, don't go away. Christian nationalism, the topic next with Dr. Nolte from Regent
6: University. We're back after this. What is biblical masculinity?
2: With the increase in text censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a text subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's stand to 67742.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more.
1: Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. It's always good to have you with us. Uh, The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, uh, pray. We need to be praying. We need to be voting. We need to be standing for truth. Pray, vote, stand. In fact, tomorrow night, one week from the election, we're going to have a special pray, vote, stand broadcast tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be joined by Ken Blackwell. Congressman Jody Heiss, and my good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And so we're going to be talking about what's at stake in this election, uh, talking about some of the reform efforts that have taken place to make sure your vote counts, and we're going to be praying for this election and praying for the Christian candidates. That's right, we're going to pray for Christian candidates. Now, that might, in the eyes of some, make me a Christian nationalist, but I think it just makes me a good American. All right, so we were talking about this very topic last week, with Regent University Professor A.J. Nolte to uh, talk about Christian nationalism. Now, trying to define it, because this, is become the left, this has become the left's favorite label for Christians practicing their faith in the public square. Much of uh, Dr. Nolte's PhD dissertation research studied the topic of nationalism and faith. And I wanted to bring him back for a longer discussion where we use this research as a framework to discuss what we're seeing today, how we understand it, and how we respond to it. So, uh, Dr. Nolte, thank you for joining us again today. Good to see you.
3: Thanks, Tony, it's great to be back.
1: All right, so before I jump into the topic of Christian nationalism, you mentioned it last time, but I I, I want people to know why you have a little bit of background and understanding of faith and nationalism. Talk a little bit about that uh, dissertation.
3: Yeah, thanks. So I actually, my my dissertation work is on political Islam, so not necessarily on the Christian side, um, but was looking at nation and state building projects in a couple of Muslim-majority countries. And the two I focused on were Indonesia and Turkey. And part of the reason I focused on those two countries is because I was interested in religion and politics, and the way those two nationalist movements um, handled religion was very, very different. So the Turks basically tried to shut it all down, and and privatize religion, actually, which they sort of got from the French, um, and the French idea of, of laicite, or extreme secularism. Indonesia said, we're going to be nationalists, but we're going to be nationalists that, are, that base it on religion and, and faith in general. It's a Muslim-majority country, um, but they actually ended up with um, multiple different types of, of religious establishment. So that gave me a pretty good background in looking at the difference between religious nationalism, non-religious nationalism, and all the different ways that that could could play itself out.
1: So, as that a, 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 with that as a framework, where do we see what's happening in the United States or the history of the United States fit into that?
3: So, I think to do that, and you, you mentioned in the in the run up to this. Defining Christian nationalism is really hard. So what I would do is this. I would, I would start by saying, what is religious nationalism in general, okay? Um, and probably the cleanest example um, that's not going to be super controversial for, for a U.S. audience would be looking at religious nationalism in India, okay? So religious nationalists in India, Hindu nationalists, will argue that Hinduism is the core expression of Indian national identity. It is the thing that makes you an Indian. It's not ethnicity, um, and if you're not a Hindu, in some sense, you're foreign, you know, and so one of the criticisms, if you look at some of the religious freedom reporting of some of the Hindu nationalists, is they'll they'll say uh, Christianity and Islam in India are foreign religions, okay? So for something to be religious nationalism, what you're essentially saying is that the identity of the nation is defined by the religion, and that because nationalism is always the idea that a nation ought to have a state. So you're saying that definition ought to be reflected in a way that sort of excludes those who are not of that religious community. So I'd want to see from Christ, for something to be Christian nationalism, I'd want to see number one, an idea that the nation is primarily or exclusively shaped by Christianity. And second, I would want to see you saying, as a result of which, there should be uh, sort of a supremacy for Christianity in law and reflected in the state. And I, while I, I do see certainly a number of, of arguments that America is a Christian nation, um, there's a lot of different definitions that are put into that, and I think it means different things to different people. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, and there, there's a lot of different definitions of that. And what I don't see from Christians in the United States is the idea that we should be excluding other religions. I think Christians in the United States... Have done more to argue for religious freedom around the world than almost anybody else. Yes,
1: and, and and I've looked at India very closely in my role as the chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom that I served on for four years, and what we see there is we see really the government turning a blind eye to the to the to the attack, persecution, and and some murder of uh, of non-Hindu individuals. Right. Now. One of the distinctions, and we have to say this, I think, up front, you made reference to it. It's not just Christianity in America that is open to people being able to choose their own path. That is the nature of Christianity. Yes. Is Christianity is different in that sense, in that we believe God gave us a choice whether or not we choose to follow him or not. And so we advocate for every human being to have a choice. Now, That doesn't mean all choices are equal in terms of their outcomes, but we do believe that every individual must make that choice for themselves. And so we fight for that opportunity for them to choose either right or wrong, but it doesn't mean that we feel like we should step back and not allow our biblically-based ideas, our worldview, which we all have a worldview, some biblical, some not, that somehow our biblical worldview is... um, is not appropriate to bring to the public square. And that's what I'm hearing those that are labeling Christians as Christian nationalists saying.
3: And here's the irony. I think religious freedom is one of Christianity's greatest gifts to the world. It's an idea that is first expressed by Christian thinkers in the second century. It's an idea that's first expressed in law, by a Christian emperor who, who signs the Edict of Milan, which is the first document that doesn't just say, I will tolerate your religion, but that actually says you have a God given right to practice your religion freely. Um, and so it is, it is an idea that comes out of Christianity, but the benefits all religions, and those who have no religion. And the irony is that the very same people who are talking about Christian nationalism are at the same time trying to say that religious freedom is a kind of Christian special pleading um, and, you know, that they're they're ignoring the degree to which religious freedom advocates have advocated for Muslims and Yazidis and others. Dr.
1: Nolte, let me ask you this question. Those, that is absolutely true that Christianity has given rise to freedom and people to make personal choices. Mm -hmm. But the very essence of Christianity, you you cannot hollow out Christianity and the values and the virtues that, that it's built upon and still expect the same outcome. Right. Yeah. And so America embracing those Christian principles. And I've never, I don't advocate to say America is a Christian nation America is a nation built on Christian principles. Right. And those principles enable us as a nation to respect all people. Is that accurate?
3: Absolutely. Um, As Christians, we have two mandates. We have the mandate to love God, we have the mandate to love our neighbor. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things that I have done a lot here at Regent is research on the impact of Christianity. And any any place you see Christians vibrantly living out their faith in the public sphere, what you tend to see is good things happening for Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, so it's it's yeah. beneficial for us, but it's also beneficial for everyone.
1: That's right. But what what I think the left is trying to do is, in fact, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to put words in their mouth. I'm going to kind of quote from them. But I, I was just reading. I mean, there's been a plethora of articles just in the last few days. I mean, they're just kind of ramping up on mm-hmm. Christian nationalism. This is by uh, Sarah Posner. And I, I've known she's been she's a quote unquote journalist. She she loves to attack Christians um, but but she says this. She says in her piece, uh, Christian Founding Mythology, Christian nationalists believe that God had a providential hand in America's founding. They contend that carrying out God's will, the founders intended America to be a Christian nation. Now, define that as, I mean, I just kind of went through that. I think America was founded on Christian principles to have that influence, but not mm-hmm. formally a Christian nation with a with a church state. That was very clear. The yeah. founders actually took that concept from
3: scripture, the separation of church and state. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a little bit of base stealing. On the one hand, you're saying America had a Christian uh, founding. I think most Christians... And and most reputable historians that I've read would agree that there's a, a you just you don't get America as it exists without Christianity. That's just a, an obvious statement. But then saying the purpose of, of America is to create a Christian nation. That, I think, is, is going a little bit further than most of us would actually be comfortable with. Because, again, I think Christians rightly understand religious freedom as a value that as as Christians we share and we want to promote. And we see
1: government having its own realm of authority that God has given to it, the family having its own realm, uh, and the church having its realm. Um, And so that the government, the church does not lord over the government. The government should not lord over the church. They all have their individual realms. And the whole basis foundation is self-government based upon biblical truth. But I want to go to another assertion she made. She goes on to say, but the extent... The Government carries out its function. It should be done from a biblical world view. Now, everyone has a worldview. They may not know it. they may not acknowledge it, but either you have a worldview as Christians, we believe God created the world and He set the rules, and therefore we we order ourselves accordingly and as Christians we can 't check our faith at the door, so we bring those viewpoints into the process by which we make our laws and we reach consensus what the left is suggesting is that if you're a christian your worldview is invalid therefore you must check faith at to the radical secularist Mm -hmm. who are indoctrinating our children with all of this sexual ideology that they're pushing in our schools
3: one of two things is happening, and, and sometimes both at the same time. One is that there's an implicit bias that says that only secular people can truly be pluralistic, um, which is, I think, historically false. Um, some of the least pluralistic ideologies in history come from a secular background. The other possibility is that pluralism is really a fig leaf um, for you know sort of pushing pushing that agenda i'm not going to necessarily say that everybody who is is secular is in the second camp where it's a fig leaf i think that a lot of them generally genuinely do not believe that you can have both a biblical worldview and a commitment to pluralism under the constitution. I I think that's, that's false, but there are certainly some people that are in that second camp where this, they're using the idea of pluralism and the belief people have this unconscious secular bias that says that only secular people can really be pluralistic. And they're using that to marginalize Christians.
1: But Dr. Nolte, do we not see this idea that there's no room in the public space for this biblical worldview or Christianity? Mm -hmm. That there is, in fact, and this is what has so many Christians, I think, at a point they're they're pushed to the edge and they're saying, you know what, we can't be silent any longer. We have to speak up. There is there is an effort to expunge from the public space any reference to God and biblical truth. And therefore, there's this idea that somehow there can be this moral neutrality or spiritual neutrality. And Jesus himself said, you know, either you're for me or you're against me. Either you gather with me or you scatter. And and so I think we had this uh, kind of um, it, it wasn't a pure evangelical religion. It was it was it was a, it was a uh, an understanding that faith and the values that we derive from that faith was important in setting the guardrails and giving the 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 the, the guidance for our nation and we coexisted. But now there's this effort to push that from the public debate. And I think that's why Christians are standing up saying enough is enough.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that there is definitely um, a, a sort of, and I saw this actually, it was interesting. You mentioned in my dissertation research at the beginning. One of the things that's on Turkey is that they, the the secular nationalists in Turkey would use the fear that the religious, the, the religious Muslims are going to sort of reemerge and, and take us, drag us back to the bad old days. They use that to sort of motivate people to follow their own policies. And what's been striking to me is I've been watching the secular discourse from the handmaid's tail outfits to the Christian nationalism. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to the mobilization of that fear of religion that you saw early in, in secular Turkey. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to that in the way the secular left is presenting now but, in the United States. But look, States. how did that work out? How did that work out for <laughs> Turkey? Not very well. And that was one of the conclusions in my dissertation is repressing religion actually just make, just creates religious extremism. Religious freedom uh, decrease, decreases religious uh, extremism.
1: I think you are absolutely right. And I think you're onto something there. Uh, Because I think what they're doing by the persecution uh, and the isolation of Christianity in this country, trying to push it out of the public square, is they're they're creating more friction and conflict in our country. Where, you know, let everybody have their ideas and bring them to the table and and, and have a point at which we reach consensus. That's being short-circuited in this process by marginalizing and labeling, and Christian nationalism is one of those labels.
3: And I think the way we respond as Christians to this this fear-based attack on religion is to remember that perfect love casts out fear. So if their goal is to try to say, you know, to try to cast as extremists, then we respond with love. We respond, you know, forcefully in the public uh, square. But we put our ideas forward, uh, and we try to persuade, and we prove them wrong, uh, and we engage.
1: That's right. And I, when we do so with confidence, standing on the truth of yeah. God's word, Um Dr. Nolte, always great to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much for taking time out to, uh, to join us today. Look forward to having some further conversations with you about these important topics.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Folks, you, you heard it. You know, we, we don't need to be fear fearful. We don't need to be angry. We need to be resolute, confident that we stand on the truth of God's word. But here's the key. We got to stand. All right. Join us tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, for Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be Ken Blackwell, Jody Heiss, and uh, my good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.